The greatest hits of all time are back. This is the all-new WMEX. WMEX Boston. Legacy Legal Live, hosted by Kendra O'Toole, Michelle Reed, and Elizabeth Caruso of Legacy Legal Planning, is a show about discussing your estate plans, options, and answering your questions. Call in at 781-834-9639 and start your lifelong partnership covered by benefits that you've earned through proper legacy planning. Now here's your hosts, Kendra, Michelle, and Elizabeth. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this chilly night on WMEX for Legacy Legal Live with Michelle Reed, Kendra O'Toole, and Elizabeth Caruso. We hope you've been uh, enjoying listening along in these last couple of weeks. We've uh, got a nice juicy topic for you tonight. We've um, been chatting a lot about wills and, and, and all things estate planning, but we're going to switch it up a little bit and, uh, and give you the good stuff and <laughs> give you a topic that uh, everyone's been asking for. So tonight we're going to go through the do's and don'ts, the rules and regs uh, regarding the dreaded Medicaid planning. This is a hefty topic in our office. We have lots of clients calling in with um, questions for the future, with urgent questions, with crisis questions, and we feel that this is a topic um, that, that begs definitely diving into in a show like this. So uh, first and foremost, the first question we get quite a bit is, what is it? What is Medicaid? What do we need to know about it? So we'll start by giving you some of the basics and um, we'll jump in with what exactly the program is and some of the rules around it just to give you um, a bit of a baseline. So I feel like I need to premise this conversation with I'm going to use the term mass health and Medicaid interchangeably. <laughs> yes. um, so ma uh, Medicaid in Massachusetts is called mass health. Uh, Medicaid is a federal program there. Uh, the federal government gives states a budget, and then the budget the states get to choose how to, um, within the rules and regulations that the federal government has created, how to then make their um, their own rules and regulations within each state. So Medicaid in Massachusetts is called MassHealth. Um, there are real there's several different reasons as to why one would find themselves on Medicaid. It is the, you know, the quintessential low income um, health insurance for anybody who qualifies. Um, but for our purposes here at Legacy Legal Planning, we see it mostly with um, elderly people who uh, need or find themselves in a long-term care setting. Um, so qualification for Medicaid, I guess, you really kind of have to reel back into how you pay for long-term care. Uh, and that's kind of usually where I start the conversation with my clients. And um, you pay for long-term care really one of three ways. Um, you have long-term care insurance, which... And if you do, you're a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Like no one has long-term care insurance anymore unless they bought their insurance program 30 years ago. And it usually doesn't cover the entire thing. Correct. Correct. Um, you have lots of money to pay for long-term care yourself and you spend down your assets or 
you've spent down all your money to the qualification level or you've done pre-planning to get yourself to the qualification level. And I think qualifying for um, mass health is a lot of what our conversation is going to be about today. Um, to start off with some numbers just to get people's heads spinning. And it's it's kind of hard to do a conversation because there's two different directions. There's the, you know, we're married or there's a single person and they have different rules. And there's a lot of nuances when you're a married couple that allow you to keep a lot of things and a lot of assets that you don't get as a single person. Uh, so maybe there's a reason to find love later in life. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason that marriage is not. <laughs> um, so to start off with some numbers, and then I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> um, so as a married couple, you are allowed to keep $147,000 as the person who's not in the long-term care facility. The person in the long-term care facility is allowed to keep $2,000. You're also allowed to keep your home, which can have an equity value of up to, I believe, $980,000 now. And you can have one car. So as a married couple, you can have quite a bit of assets and still have the spouse who needs care receive it in a long-term care setting. A single person can only have $2,000, period, end of question, no car, no house, nothing else, just $2,000, that's it. How does that work out? It not it, doesn't that seem unfair? That seems very unfair. I don't know why, but it just seems it. Well, the point of the program is to not impoverish the spouse who's still living at home, like they don't want to have the state doesn't want to have two people in a nursing home because one person needs the care. And, you know, you have to prove that they qualify rightfully so, but they don't want to, you know, end up having two people in a nursing home when one could have stayed at home. So they come up with this, the qualification regulations that say, you know, you can keep your house so you can stay at home. You can keep this $147,000, which is that enough to live on? Probably not. <laughs> well, I was say, once again, it doesn't seem very fair here. No, no. But I mean, that's, that's the rules and regulations that we have to deal with. And to that point of, you know, having that spouse still be at home and not necessarily have them also have to go into a nursing home. It's not just financial that comes into play when you're going into the nursing home. There also is a medical component of it and making sure that you actually need that level of care and help. And so if your spouse doesn't need that type of help either, whether you're financially qualified doesn't mean you can just go into the nursing home to either be with them or to, you know, not, if you don't have funds to pay for another home, you need to also medically qualify. Yes, and um, I don't see anybody fighting to get into nursing homes. Nobody is like, oh, my God, I want to go. Right, <laughs> but it's not like you said, you need that money to keep that person out because without that money, they're they're stuck with nothing. I mean, their income enough isn't even enough to 
keep people in a home these days. People are are tapping into their retirement and into that 148000 to just continue to pay, you know, their bills, their utilities. And unfortunately, a lot that we even see now is people that are into their, you know, 70s and 80s are still having mortgages. You know, there's stuff in life, different things happen. And so the community spouse needs this money to pay the bills. Yes. And there's so many ins and outs to this um, equation as to you know, like what happens when you um, when you need to go into a long-term care setting and you really do need to sit down with an elder law attorney because the the facilities are not going to advocate for you. They're going to tell you exactly how how it is, but they're not going to tell you how the rules apply to you and your individual situation. And really every single person's situation is so different when we get to this point because nobody's assets are made up of exactly the same components. You know, people have different houses, they have different family situations, and there's the there's so many nuances to the rules that might actually save something sometimes. Like there's two or three pages of um, rules that say, if you have somebody living with you, you might be able to keep your house. Like if you had a child who's lived with you for the past two years, there's something called the caretaker child exception. If you have a sibling who owns half of your house, that's an exception. If you have a disabled person living with you who is a child or a grandchild, that's an exception. If you're blind, that's an exception. So, I mean, there's so many ins and outs to qualifying for these services that you really need somebody who's an expert in these regulations to be able to advocate for you and, you know, get you the benefits that you qualify for. So that's actually a great segue into, you know, we could run down a million avenues of how we Liz, we were chatting pre-show earlier and we said, you know, some of the things we talked about could be one show in and of themselves. But we're going to take the approach a little bit of some of the common questions that clients come to us with because, you know, for, so from your point of view, we've come up with some of the questions that we hear quite a lot. Some of them are uh, quite confusing. There is a whole lot of information out there in uh, Google World. So, you know, we have a lot of people who come to us saying, well, what about this? And can I do this? And my neighbors, sisters, brothers, mothers-in-law did this. So why can't we do that? So we'll just kind of take some of these common questions and, you know, it might bounce us from here or there, but it's, it's sort of coming from a client point of view, what we hear from across the conference room table. Uh, one of my favorites is, well, we've got these rules. We know we have to qualify. We know we can only have a certain amount of funds, but can't I just gift a certain amount of money to my son or daughter? I, I know I can do that. They say I can gift $17,000 a year. Can I just just gift it all away now and qualify for services. So does anyone have a good answer for that one? <laughs> uh, the straight answer is no. Sure, that was my guess. <laughs> well, I mean, you sure can, but there's there's complications to that. <laughs> right. And most likely they will, you know, deny you for a certain period of time based on whatever gifting you did. We always, people just think because the IRS has one rule, that that's going to be the rule for mass health, but it's it's not, and it is something that can get people into trouble when they are trying to gift in hopes of qualifying for 
Medicaid Mass Health, but there's that five-year look back that I'm sure you've all heard about, and they do review your bank accounts, and they ask where money has gone. Yeah, and um, the with the five-year look-back period, you have to submit five years of bank records to show where your money has gone, and they're going to go through and say, okay, so we see this transaction here. What was that exact transaction for? And if it was, you know, a $15,000 check to your daughter just because you love her, that's great. But they're going to say, okay, well, you should have known that three years ago you could end up in a nursing home. So therefore, you're going to have to get that $15,000 back. I've already spent it. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Correct. I mean, and you put your, uh, these are, you know, tough situations that families end up being put into because every single time you make a gift and really the threshold that um, they're looking at nowadays is anything over about a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars is going to start raising some red flags. Um, every time you make a gift over that, there's going to be mass health implications to it. Um, just because there's not gift tax implications doesn't mean there's not um, mass health look back period implications. Uh, the other thing I want to bring up is. Not only are there gift tax issues with some of these gifts, there's also um, capital gains tax issues with some of these gifts. Um, A lot of people think that uh, they can just give their house to a child for a dollar and that now starts the five-year look-back period. Well, it sure does. Um, But what you've given is your child now has your tax basis when they go to sell the house. And if you bought your house for $25,000 40 years ago, when they turn around and sell it, depending upon where you live, your house now could be worth six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000. They're going to pay capital gains taxes on, for let's argument's sake, $700,000 house you bought for $25,000. in gain, which they're going to pay taxes on because you gifted it to them for a dollar. I'd like to recant my previous (laughs) statement. (laughs) (laughs) So gifts, I mean, just not even from a mass health only perspective, gifts can have a huge impact on taxation and elder law issues. And not to get away from the mass health stuff, but there is a... You know, the, talking about that capital gains, if somebody inherits the property, the capital gains tax and the benefit that they get is is just so much more worth it than yeah. That's called the stepped up basis. Yeah, that stepped up basis is just it gives you the fair market value at the date of death of that person that owned the property, and so really, if you sell something almost immediately, you may have no capital gains whatsoever. And so it really is a big benefit to not just add somebody onto the deed. Correct. Yeah. So that begs the question that we will sort of review over and over and over again, but pre-planning when possible. And, and with this topic, we say when possible, because sometimes things do happen um, very, very fast, very, and, and, and things can decline very quickly in, in that regard. So sometimes we don't have a choice. We, we are doing some crisis planning. 
but the whole pur- purpose of, of having these discussions now is so that, you know, we, we've got things in the back of our mind and, and we're aware of some of these issues. Again, we could talk about certain things for hours, but making sure that you're, you're taking little bits and pieces and asking a qualified attorney, okay, I learned this. How do I pre-plan to make sure that my family is not in that situation? Or, you know, everyone knows about that five-year look back, but what exactly, how does that apply to me? Um, I have some gifts back here. How does, how, what does that look like when, when I go to apply for MassHealth? Um, so there's, there's really the, the component of, of pre-planning here is, is will we'll get you started off in, in a much better direction. So I've had a couple clients that, you know, they did do some of that gifting. And it, it is something that MassHealth can say no. But at the same time, if you work with an attorney and, and you try to lay out the terms of what happened in real life, you hope that you get a caseworker that understands some real life. And we have been lucky that many of the caseworkers that we deal with do understand real life scenarios and as you mentioned you know a gift that maybe was four years ago as something to you know send a granddaughter or something over to a few months traveling in Europe or something you're not hopefully going to trigger something when it's just real life you're not planning on oh I might be in the nursing home in five years so it's really important that working with that attorney they are hitting it head on of this is what it was for in hopes that you do have, you know, a caseworker that understands that life is life and we're not going to just not try to provide for our loved ones. But at the same time, you need to be careful to not be doing it when you are in a situation that you think you're going to be getting that care soon. Yeah, there is a regulation that says that um, as long as the gift was not made in anticipation of qualification of Medicaid, that um, it should not be held against you. And obviously, the closer you are to getting to the five-year look-back period from that gift, the better. Um, And I've before uh, sat down with clients and literally made out like a timeline as to exactly what happened, like why the gift was made, if there's any history of gifting. So like maybe you have six grandchildren, And this was the sixth one to get married. And you gave the same amount of money to all six of your grandkids. Well, that's powerful. I mean, that shows a history of things that you've done your whole life. And why should you do it differently just because you're a little bit older? Um, It's also powerful to talk about maybe there was a difference in your health between that gift and now. So maybe the gift was two years ago. But there was, you know, some type of a triggering event that caused a decline in your health rapidly. Maybe you had a stroke. Maybe you fell down. Maybe, you know, any number of things could have happened that you ended up in the hospital or a rehab center or something like that. And now are looking at long-term care that, you know, even two years ago when that gift was made was not on the horizon at all because you were driving yourself around, doing your own grocery shopping, golfing, whatever you were doing, um, And we use that, you know, that type of timeline all the time to paint the picture as to, you know, how life actually happened. And it's important to paint this picture 
when you're submitting the initial app, like you mentioned, the application, like you mentioned, the nursing home, or if they connect you with, you know, somebody that's not an attorney but can help you through this process, they are really just getting the get the documents together and throwing it to Mass Health and seeing kind of what sticks. Um, we really like to go through all the bank statements first. We pick out things that we see could be a red flag and we hit those head on with that initial application. So to not be having it just left up to Mass Health to pick and choose what they kind of want to to go after. Yeah, so I think that begs the question too because you know, we're, we're people, we understand that there is certainly a difference between having um, a contracted agency help you out with these types of applications and, and, and all of this versus having um, a highly educated, qualified elder law attorney. Uh, the first thing that most families are looking at, especially because finances are, are very top of mind when we're talking about long-term care and Medicaid applications and who's going to pay for what and how the heck are we going to pay for this, when um, a, a contracted agency from the nursing home has a fee r- related to, to their services and an attorney has a fee related to their services, a lot of folks are saying, whoa, <laughs> what is the difference here and why wouldn't we just go with this route? And to your point, Kendra, there there's so many intricacies, as, as Liz mentioned earlier, you know, we could we could go off in multi- a multitude of directions, but making sure that if we've got gifts in our past, if we have some transfers, um, if we have anything that's sort of outside of the box, and as Liz alluded to earlier in the show, no, no one has a, the same scenario. They're all very, very different. So how Having someone who is very knowledgeable with exceptions to rules, we like those, um, and how we can work around those, that makes all of the difference. And the process is different. And, and the agencies are wonderful for what they are capable of doing, like Liz said earlier. If you've got a very simple scenario, there's times when we'll, we'll have a client and we'll say, yeah, they didn't. it wasn't half bad. You know, wonderful, you qualified, that's great. But would you say what? Nine times out of, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, you know, dog anybody. But in this case, you know, there, there are certain certain times when you can slide by. <laughs> well, and you say that I've had people I've sent to agencies because I've said your application is very simple. I don't see any red flags here. You're, you know, you're already below the threshold. I think that you should save money and go with one of these contracted agencies because you don't need the skill set that I that I'm bringing to the table. Some people do have very simple situations. Some people are already on community mass health, which I can go into an entire show on the that. As, yeah, <laughs> we'll do another show on that. Um, but community mass health is when you're still living in your home and you're receiving mass health benefits for in-home care, or maybe you're getting like Meals on Wheels or things like that. Um, the transition from community mass health and in-home mass health to long-term care can be much easier um, because you've already gone through a lot of the vetting process. Sometimes it makes sense for the families to save money and there aren't these crazy nuances. Everybody has their place in, you know, helping elders in this community. Yeah, absolutely. So to round out that question, when would you seek elder law attorneys always? 
wink wink <laughs> but you know very realistically if you if you have something that's outside of very very simple you know you have multiple bank accounts um, you have multiple assets maybe you've closed down assets and and, and transfer you have lots of transfers um, in and out of accounts you have transfers to family members you've done some gifting um, you're, you have questions about the house you might have family members living in the home as well um, you're, you're concerned about preserving assets you maybe you have a spouse at home who needs a little bit additional of, of additional care and, and you're worried about having the assets for, for that process. So all of these things are triggers to say, okay, perhaps an agency might not be the best for me. I really, really need to um, make sure that we, we find an attorney in that regard. And in that regard of, you know, having these agencies, it really is, like you said, having that time and place, but there's nothing wrong with reviewing things and kind of planning now. If you have a parent that you are at a point thinking that they might need this care in the future, it doesn't hurt to meet with somebody to say, what are some of the things we can do to get our ducks in a row, which is some of the things that we are talking about tonight. And we'll get into a little bit more on in the next half. But it's there's nothing wrong with kind of, if you're in a situation that you think, we can see this coming down the pipeline in the next six months or a year, it's not a bad idea to get a little advice of what do we have to do to start preparing for this so that you don't feel like you are in that crisis moment of feeling that overwhelm and everything being piled on you at once. Yeah, there's nothing worse than an initial uh, meeting with a client and I get the deer in headlights when I tell them everything that is entailed in a mass health application because this thing, when I'm done with it or we're done with it, it's probably six inches tall. It's got, you know, five years worth of bank records from every bank account that you have owned in the last five years, closed or opened. It's got every, you know, deed involved in your life. It's got um, your health insurance information. It has all the titles to your cars. It's got your taxes for the last three years. Um, it has your birth certificate, your marriage certificate, your social security card, your license. Um, trying to think what else. The last one I just sent in a couple weeks ago was 596 pages of documents. Kendra yep. would count all the pages. <laughs> no, I scanned yeah. it in. <laughs> I scanned it in, so I had the PDF. <laughs> we don't charge for that. That's just our, just for our own. <laughs> that is the benefit of using legacy legal planning. You will know exactly how many pages your craziness comes up to. That's well, a bargain. <laughs> That comes to you for free. <laughs> Minute attention to the details. <laughs> I didn't look till I scanned it in. All right, I wasn't yeah, counting I mean, it. <laughs> to that point, though, sometimes we're like, "Whoa, you know this, this, you know, you're, you're, we're, we're in the thick of it daily. We're putting these things together." But when you put that packet together for that poor caseworker on the other end, you want to make darn sure it's organized. And then, you know, if they say, "Well, we got a four hundred page," no, 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 that was five hundred and what ninety six. Ninety six. <laughs> well, and you also. This, the family members putting these things together, compiling all this information to bring to us. Right. Is yep. Well, I think that is a great place to take our break as we've hit just about the halfway mark. Thank you for listening to Legacy Legal Live on WMEX Boston. And we are back with Legacy Legal Live on WMEX Boston. And we have been talking about 
MassHealth Medicaid regulations and rules and just some tips of what to have top of mind if you're going through this process. So this is, as we said at the beginning, a pretty uh, juicy and popular topic in our office. And we work with a lot of clients in a ton of different situations. They come to us. Some people have, you know, we were talking a little bit before about all the stuff that's compiled into a mass health Medicaid application. Um, and it's quite a bit. We have some folks who come in with the with the shopping bags or the bankers boxes full of all the papers and receipts flying out everywhere. And, you know, because they, they want to be prepared and, and we're asking them for quite a bit of things that goes into this application. But the question that we get and the question that we often ask um, is, is, what do you have? So the, the clients will say, what do I need? What's going to be helpful in this process? What, what are the types of documents? And we'll start with the legal documents. What are the types of legal documents that we are immediately sifting through that banker's box looking for that will be helpful to us as your attorneys to help you through this process? So one of the most important legal documents that we find our clients needing is a power of attorney for their loved one that's in the nursing home. Um, many times, as mentioned earlier, you need bank statements, you need pension statements and information from all these different um, uh, different companies that have different requirements or need to prove that you have access and authority to request this information. So one of the big ones that we always talk about is a durable power of attorney that is authorizing hopefully our client or the person that we're working with for the person that's in the nursing home to be able to gain access to all these records because MassHealth wants them and needs to review them. But if these documents are not in place and, you know, mom or dad or sibling is in the nursing home, you're having to go to court to try to gain access to these to these funds for the most part. Um, it's you're not able to, you know, maybe there's that time where somebody might be a joint owner that they could access something, but you're not able to access all this information without a power of attorney or conservatorship to be able to actually provide this information to Mass Health to get your loved one onto onto this benefit. And that's a situation you don't want to find yourself in. You don't want to have you know, a loved one facing down long-term care stay and not be able to assist them because they don't have a power of attorney in place. And you're now compounding the stress of putting someone into long-term care, getting them situated, how are we going to pay for it? You're now adding a court appearance or two to that because they don't have a power of attorney giving you or another loved one the authority to help them out and get these documents not even in place, but to get the, to obtain the copies of these statements that you need to prove that you do actually qualify for these services. Yeah, and power of attorney is is one of the documents that we we consistently say is 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 viable for every adult. But in this case, it's in particularly important. But some of the things that get overlooked that we end up having to deal with some issues with um, and jump through some hoops is if if your loved one has a trust and we've got trustees that were named, you know, ages and ages ago, and there might be some capacity questions for, you know, if, if, if they are or were named their own trustee, we then have to jump through hoops there. So making sure that we've got copies of the trust. Uh, lots of times um, clients will say, we know there's a trust, and then we have some things that we can go digging for to say, it seems like there's one that exists. You know, there's a deed here or something to that effect, but no one can find the actual trust. And perhaps there's a bank account that lives in that trust. So now the power of attorney 
in that case might be potentially useless because they're saying, well, the power, the, the attorney, in fact, in this document is not the same person as the trustee. And so we're in a pickle there because we can't even request bank statements. So if you've got these sort of more advanced estate planning documents, compiling those and making sure that all the trustees are able to do their job, or if we've got some capacity issues, we got to jump through another hoop there, hoop there to see if uh, we can get a successor trustee in play real quick. I was just going to say, this is a really good plug that if you do have some of these documents in place, be sure to continue to review them to make sure that the people that you have in place are still the people that you want in place to step in and also still capable to do it. Yeah, you want to make sure that these people are able to jump in when necessary. And that's you know, a good time to think about, you know, who who would help me in this situation? Who do I want, you know, advocating for me to, you know, help me get the services that I need? Who's going to be, you know, ready, willing, and able to take on these tasks? A lot of it is, you know, attention to detail and just being able to follow directions pick up the phone yes <laughs> patience with the different companies that they need to call to get pension statements or you know statements from life insurance sometimes they might be on the phone for a while so well, some patience can go and a this way. is where i might play devil devil's advocate <laughs> do you want the patient person or do you want the impatient person That's who gets true. better results <laughs> The age old uh, <laughs> depends on the company you're dealing with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> sometimes you might need to turn on the uh, the impatience because 14 phone calls have gone unanswered. Absolutely. <laughs> but at the same time, if it's that first phone call, you need somebody that will take that time and effort. I think the word we're looking for is determined. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I like it. We're going to start putting that out. Are you a determined individual? You might be my trustee. <laughs> I can see it now. Um, so we talked about a little bit of the financial stuff, but what's a, you know, in terms of, um, you know, one last document that is, is helpful, not necessarily for the application, but what we're finding that the nursing communities are looking for as well from the medical side of things. So as we've talked about on some other shows is really that healthcare proxy and HIPAA authorization. Um, the healthcare proxy just allows, you know, you're appointing somebody to step in to make decisions for you if you're not able to make your own. And then that HIPAA authorization is allowing them access to the medical records. And, you know, as we mentioned, there is also a medical part of qualifying for MassHealth. So you do want somebody that can step in and talk to the nursing home, make sure they're getting the, you know, proper forms that the nursing home also needs to submit for this application. And I actually recently have had a lot of clients tell me that nursing homes are and assisted livings will not accept their loved ones without a most form. So the most is the Massachusetts Order of Life-Sustaining Treatment. And it is actually a form that is filled in with your doctor. It's that pink color. Hot one. pink. <laughs> yes, it's hot pink. And it's what people think of as like a DNR today. And, you know, Massachusetts just has fancy words for a lot of these documents. But you fill it out with your primary care physician or another specialist, and it goes through what you would want as far as like end of life treatment and this form trumps like a, the concept of a living will in this state and um a lot of nursing homes want to see this document filled out so that if there is 
a, you know, an emergent situation, they know what the patient would want in that situation. Because it says, you know, take me, I have a chronic illness. Do I want to be taken to the hospital or not? Do I want to be intubated or not? Do I want to receive life-sustaining treatment or not? Um, do I want to have artificial hydration, artificial feeding? It goes through, you know, quite a bit of these scenarios. Somehow it's only a back and front document, but it goes through all that. <laughs> Bring your glasses. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I've actually had quite a few clients. And then um, one of my court-appointed clients, um, I was not allowed to actually sign the intake paperwork at the nursing home until I filled out a most. And that just goes on to talking about, again, the level of document preparation um, that you're sort of pinged in so many different directions. So when we meet with clients, um, they're coming in with a lot of their questions and then we're providing them with a heck of a lot of information too. But one of the simplest things is frankly a checklist. You know, I think a lot of people, organized, determined, patient or impatient, <laughs> um, could do well with a checklist. So frankly, having folks who work in this area day in and day out and handle several cases from several different clients and, and, and financial and medical situations, knowing what the, um, Mass Health is going to ask for, knowing what the nursing community is going to ask for, knowing what we need in order to do our job makes a significant difference. So when we work with clients, of course, we're fielding all of the initial fearful questions, which anybody would have. But we're also providing you with physical, tactical tools that you can then leave our office, whether you're a loved one, um, a family member, spouse, whatever, whatever your role is. If you're helping someone who's needing long-term care, you can say, okay, I have some semblance of a roadmap. This is certainly overwhelming. It's overwhelming for anybody in any situation. But working with someone who knows knows the industry um, can, can be make all the difference. Because if you're missing one document, sometimes you might get a denial. <laughs> I most recently had a denial. I know what's coming. <laughs> over $19.46. That seems silly again. <laughs> yep. State resources are being used to tell me that somebody who was very overqualified and had a very simple application could not receive benefits for $19.46. I would love to ask so much more information, but I know we can't get into specifics. <laughs> The words you just used and the order of which you use them have hurt my head now. Yes, yes. Ours so, too. <laughs> so, I mean, like, even even when you're the most prepared you can be because you went to an elder law attorney, there can be little things that happen. And the f level of frustration that many people feel in this process is reciprocated with your attorney sometimes, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're pulling our hair out, too. We're, you know, we're with you I mean, because we're working with you sometimes for months on end. And if you, you know, the earlier you come, the, the longer our relationship lasts. So it's it's devastating for us, too, and equally frustrating because we have to be nice as pie to those caseworkers when we're trying to get these applications pushed through and explain things and figure out how to politely say are you kidding me <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> 
and it does take some explanation to clients sometimes of this is just their process this is what we have to do i will say a lot of times when you submit an application you then get what's called a request for information and they're asking for more information than what you provided and probably half of that was already in your initial package that you provided and so you're having to reprovide it to mass health to just be sure that you are putting your best foot forward to get your client approved. So in other words, we don't like how you worded it. Make it sound nicer. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you're literally walking the fine line between, please see my last email. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you mean you're asking for this again? <laughs> please go to Exhibit J, page 524, and you will see that I already submitted that bank statement. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There's something really satisfying when I can be. <laughs> like when my answer can be yes on page 73 <laughs> this was submitted four times <laughs> so the frustration is all across the board but that being prepared helps because we can say hey see exhibit b page 73 here right there right there it's right there in fine print um but we we like to do a lot of um common questions and spooky things and do's and don'ts. But I think one of the biggest fears we have from our clients um, and, and one of the biggest questions we have is about about their assets. What can they keep? What can what what is the nursing home going to take? And we, we always hear this one. Everything. But, yeah, right. They're going to take my house, right? What what's going to happen to my house? Can't they just come in and take my house? So I'm going to paint a picture right now because this is what here comes the Disney fanatic. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is what comes into my head whenever a client asks me that, like, is like is the nursing home going to take my house? So Beauty and the Beast is my favorite movie. At the end, you've got all the townspeople rushing the castle with their pitchforks and their torches, and they're crying to get into the castle to kill the beast. So I picture the nursing home and, like, all of the caseworkers and the people who work at the nursing home trying to rush your house and take you out of it in order to pay for the in, in order to pay for your stay. Get it. That's but where it, they keep all the money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're stashing it under the mattress. But it can really feel that way because – there's so many things out there that put your home at risk. And then you, again, lovely Google world. It's wonderful for so many things. But if it, we, we have that situation where there's so much quote unquote resources out there that, that tell people that you're going to lose your house. Yeah. So <clears throat> now that I've painted that silly picture, uh, the answer is no, they're not going to take your house. They're going to put a lien on your house. So the house is going to stay there, but you're going to be forced to sell it. And if you don't sell it, when it does get sold, the amount of money that MassHealth put out to pay for your care is going to be taken from the sale of that house. So they don't physically remove you. They don't physically remove your things. But... Just in paperwork legally. Yes, yes. They will slap on a, um, a lien and make sure that they get what's owed to them. So then uh, we're taking a sneak peek into next week's episode and we discuss <laughs> how to fix this broken system and make it right again for our people, right? We don't have enough that's time not, for this. <laughs> no, that's going to say I tried, folks. I tried. <laughs> My soapbox is too big for this show on that. <laughs> but what we can say is that's an excellent segue into some of the organizations that are fighting, you know, against the tides so to speak especially in massachusetts um where we liz is is a 
heavily involved, although she'll, <laughs> she's very humble, um, in a local organization that, you know, these these attorneys are out there on the soapbox. She's involved in the association, but not in the political no. soapbox <laughs> part of it. We're trying to get her. So the, I'm trying. I'm pushing real hard to get her. Because <laughs> um, so the organization that they are talking about is NALA, the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. Uh, and I am on the programming committee. <laughs> Which teaches other, you know, puts develops these programs based on these types of concerns. What our fellow attorneys, not us, you know, because we're we're in the thick of it. But there there are some incredible attorneys out there fighting these battles because we hear them from clients. We send them on to the our fearless leaders in these organizations, and they're out there doing what they can do um, to to help in any way, shape, or form. But when you're working in this field. Um, and, and you're looking for attorneys to, to turn to as resources, NALA is an excellent organization. So if you're looking, who do, who do I start with? Always call us anytime. <laughs> but, you know, um, if, if, it, if it's not possible for you, NALA is a great resource for very knowledgeable attorneys. Yes, and there are um, many attorneys across the state who are in this organization. Um, some have different um, specialties in others. Uh, like I turn to quite a few of the other attorneys in NALA when it comes to community mass health yeah. programs, because yes. that's, that is not a strength of mine. I definitely focus my practice more on long-term care issues um, and not so much on people who are still in their home. Um, and it can be, they, the nuances are, are great and many, as we've discussed already through this uh, show. And, you know, you can't know what you don't know. <laughs> Until you know. Mm -hmm. And I always tell um, people who are looking for attorneys in other states who are in a similar situation. Like I had a, a colleague asking me if I knew anybody in Ohio. And I was like, I don't, but I know where to start. So I started with the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys and I figured out who was a member in Ohio, in her area. And I knew that at least if they were a member of the um, of the academy, that they would be vetted and have a, a knowledge base that would be helpful. No, it's definitely a great association that, you know, we're proud to be part of and to to keep up with our education as well, because we learn from so many of the other attorneys as well. There's always things changing with Medicaid, mass health, estate planning as a whole. So, you know, we always keep up with it and stay educated to be sure that we're doing the best for our clients. Um, one thing I talked about before break was I was saying that we would kind of start, give you some things that you could start putting together. I just kind of wanted to list off just kind of a short list of some of the items we have on our checklist for some of our clients. And, you know, things that you can just start putting together if you are taking care of, you know, your mom or dad or a sibling that you think could have nursing home care in the future, in the short future, and just some things you can start looking for and putting together. And especially when they have the ability to let you know where things are, you know, look for, as Liz mentioned, that social security card, that healthcare proxy, that power of attorney, um, you know, have a general list of their assets just so you at least know even what banks that they bank with. Um, you know, these are just some short things that you can start putting together to at least be prepared for what will be expected if you do find yourself in this situation in the future for a loved one. 
And one of the things, too, if your loved one is comfortable, because not everyone is okay with opening up their financial picture and, and their reasonings for, for certain financial transactions, but we end up doing a lot of, we are not accountants, we are not forensic accountants, but we joke that we sort of take on a role of forensic accounting in the office when we're looking at bank statements. So uh, when we're saying, to Liz's point earlier, there's a check for $15,000 to your, you know, to, to, to so-and-so. What was this for? And then we have blank stares back at us saying, well, Nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what? What are you talking about? Is it really about? even that important? <laughs> Fraud. Um, but it, it is helpful to get some of the background on these things if if it's if it's a discussion that your your family member is comfortable having. Lots of times we, we can't explain it and, and that it is what it is. But if we have the ability to say, oh, this was, you know, this was actually repayment for blah, 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 whatever it might be. If we, if we can explain it away, it helps. Um, so, so putting together and having that conversation of, of just running through and saying, hey, anything we should know about? <laughs> Doesn't I, always work that way. I have to ask, was there at least an occasion for each of you individually where that came up and the answer you got was way more truthful than you ever wanted it to be? Oh, yeah. Sometimes we say, blah, 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 don't tell us. <laughs> Did you catch all that? No, I was not listening specifically. (laughs) Usually it's for things that make sense. Yeah. Like I've had families that um, for each of their children, they gave them a chunk of money to help them buy their house. Which is wonderful. Exactly. It's a beautiful thing to be able to do as part of your legacy. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, I, you know, this, they said, you know, we had, you know, one kid that didn't go to college. So we gave them a little bit more money to go help them buy their house or something like that. I've had, you know, families say, oh, that was to put windows in my granddaughter's house or that was to do X, Y, Z. I wanted to help them because I could, which I get, you know, you want to help out your loved ones. It's just unfortunate when it's possible to turn around and hurt you. So we talked a little bit about that Beauty and the Beast image of, you know, them coming to you, take your home as people are so concerned about. Can you touch base a little bit, Michelle or Liz, on what is something people could do to maybe not even have to worry about that lien or, you know, being forced to sell? What is something they could maybe do with the pre-planning to prevent that if it was at the right time? And I know that's a very long. She's looking at her watch. <laughs> it is six fifty-two. Just a little, a little teaser for people might be, to come back. <laughs> this could be a teaser for next week's show, maybe. Um, so the, specifically with your home, um, I kind of rattled off at the beginning of the show that there are lots of regulations, like the caretaker child and the owning it with the siblings and things like that. Um, those are all you know crisis and like emergency planning things. Um, Pre-planning, you can put it into a trust that is going to qualify for the five-year look-back period. These trusts are irrevocable trusts, and we can, like I said, get into that next week because five minutes isn't going to do it justice. Um, I just wanted that teaser out there. There's also... You see what you're doing, Kendra. (laughs) Yeah. There's also a concept of uh, a life estate deed, and... Um, that is when you deed your house to someone else and you reserve the right to live there for the rest of your life. And if you use special language and wiggle your nose and a magic wand, um, you get the five-year look-back period started. Um, these are very different 
planning mechanisms. Um, the reasons why you would choose one over the other, we can literally discuss next week um, because it's a lot goes into the uh, the decision making process of it. There's a lot of um, like tax issues and capital gains issues that you think about um, expectations as to what's going to happen with a family home can be taken into consideration as well. Um, and, you know, whether it's going to be sold, it's going to be passed on to somebody else. All of those types of things come into play when you're deciding, like, what does the correct pre-planning look like for my family? And I think in the last couple of minutes, I want to kind of pose the question, um, what are some ways, so we talked about the, our thresholds. There's the married couple can have $147,000. A single person can only have $2,000. And in theory, you're thinking that the only way that you can get, you, you have to spend everything on the nursing home in order to get down to this threshold. Are there other things that you can spend money on that bring you down to those figures that might be conducive or helpful? Yeah, I mean, we tell our clients quite often that, you know, your money is still your money and you can spend it on yourself. <laughs> um, if you have <laughs> um, if you have a spouse at home, you know, there are things that you can do if, if you're needing some some serious repairs that aren't just, you know, cosmetic upgrades. But if, if you need some repairs on the home, new furnace, maybe a little kitchen upgrade, little roof scenario, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you can spend that to make sure that your house is safely maintained for a, for a spouse uh, living living at home. Um, we also have the ability to prepay funerals and, and burial and things of that nature. And I think that's one that clients really love because they feel that they are also taking that burden off of their loved ones, that they don't have to worry about their, you know, children paying for their funeral, especially when they're, you know, bringing their assets down to an amount that's so low that would not be able to provide for a funeral. I think that's something that our clients really feel that they're at least putting something in place to to take care of. I have a fun one that I can tell some people sometimes. <laughs> um, so you're allowed to have a car. <laughs> you're allowed to have a car of any value. So I have literally had people trade in their old car and buy a brand new one because they wanted to be able to, you know, have a car that was more functional to, usually I see this in spousal situations. I was going to say the spouse at yeah. home. <laughs> so that the spouse at home has a functional car to be able to go visit their spouse in the long-term care facility. Um, one of my favorite examples of this, and this is a client right, probably 10 years ago, traded in a Corolla and walked away with a Cadillac. <laughs> The only time your spouse will let that happen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's a very special time in people's lives when we can all look at each other and say, this car is going to outlive both of us. And then, of course, there is a very, this is a very nuanced and specific type of way, crisis planning way for spending. There is an annuity called a Medicaid annuity. And there are lots of ins and outs of that that we're not going to get on to today. We'll bring a guest on for that one. <laughs> Check in yeah. three weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's just another way that we can try to help get qualified faster while still having the proper funds to take care of some things for, the lo for that loved one. So in our short window of time, we threw a lot out there. Um, but it just... 
it, it's an overwhelming process for certain. Um, there's there's no one that comes in cool, calm, and collected when we're talking about this topic. So it's an emotional thing. Um, it's it tests your organizational skills, your patience, your determination, and um, it's something that we we take on with open arms, some compassion as well. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. A lot of attorneys will do consultations. You know, we'll sit with you and do those. So call us at any time. Legacy Legal Planning. So you know how to call our number is 781-971-5900. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Legacy Legal Planning. And our website's LegacyLegalPlanning.com. And we also have a page on the WMEX site that you can also get on to Thanks, to contact ben. us. WMEXBoston.com. That's the way. Those are always to reach out and connect because we hope that we've kind of maybe triggered some questions that you might be thinking about in your specific situation in your family and what you can do to help prepare for this. So we want to thank you for joining us tonight with this very in-depth topic. And we look forward to seeing you next week on WMEX. Fifteen ten WMEX Quincy Boston and one hundred one point one FM W two six six DQ Weymouth. WMEX Quincy Boston streaming at WMEXBoston.com and on your smart speaker. Just say play WMEX. The greatest hits of all time are back. This is the all new WMEX. WMEX Boston.